ye have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Welcome to Dominion Podcast. Is this episode six now? It is episode six. I am your beta host, Jeremy Boyd. And I'm Alex Klusterman. All right. <laughs> I can't say alpha host. <laughs> we all know it's true. We all know it's true. We're hoping to get other people on the show too, but that would make them kappa hosts and theta hosts. Yeah, and all delta, sorts hosts. Of delta hosts. Delta hosts. Yeah. Well, this week we're, we're talking about something called sphere sovereignty or spheres of authority. Yeah. Uh, this is... Um, we're kind of in a time where the church is being forced to think about things that it hasn't had to uh, hitherto in this uh, culture. Yeah. One of these things is authority. Mm-hmm. What is the nature of authority? What does the Bible say about the authority of magistrates, the mm-hmm. authority of church leaders, the mm-hmm. authority of fathers? Um how do all these things work together? What happens when there's conflicts between them? Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about the king, uh, the king of kings, right? We say that. It just rolls off the tongue, king mm-hmm. of kings. Well, that means that kings have a king. Yeah. That means kings have another authority above them. That's yeah. what we mean. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king of kings. That's what these things mean. So I don't know. Why don't you start us off? What is uh, What do you see as the, the major um, issue that the church is dealing with? that's causing us to have to think these things through. Yeah, so as we think through what it means to take dominion, to live under the rule of Christ and to rule over creation in his name, uh, we have to think through what is our role. But when I ask the question, what is Alex's job in this? I need to clarify even further. What, well, what do you mean? Who do you mean? Alex as husband? Alex as pastor? Alex as employee? Mm-hmm. Alex as... Uh, citizen, a citizen. What, what, what do you mean? Because the different responsibilities I have, uh, the different roles that I take mean I have different responsibilities. And mm. one of the things we're, we're facing in this time is that there's been a, there is a crisis in understanding the various realms of responsibility that God has ordained and uh, upholding a respect for the responsibilities that people hold in those various roles and the corresponding authority that goes with it. There's been a mass confusion. So we have, you know, the most pressing thing is the role of the government, not only in relation to the church, but in relation to the family, mm-hmm. in relation to the individual. Uh, we are seeing a rising totalitarianism, which is not where tanks and guns are necessarily uh, being being commandeered against the populace, but whereby the governing authorities are taking upon themselves a total authority. That is mm-hmm. authority over every sphere of society. And this is something that, you know, in the West, we got away from. This is the experience of most people in most places and most times. Mm-hmm. You know, the state is the ultimate authority. Um, but for a long time, as the overflow of the gospel in our culture, we experienced... Uh, you know, a division of responsibilities and authorities. So the, the individual has uh, rights and responsibilities. The family has rights and responsibilities and, and authority. Mm-hmm. And churches have a unique responsibility and, and authority. And the government has unique responsibility and authority. And the role of Christians and the role of humanity is to acknowledge and respect and live within these various spheres in harmony. So these spheres don't contradict one another. They're not in um, conflict with one another. They are meant 
by God's grace to live in harmony with one mm-hmm. another. And what we have today is the is various spheres like the family, the church, and the individual kind of collapsing beneath the authority of the state. And this is important to understand because it's not as though this is just happening coercively, that this view of the government having ultimate authority is kind of the de facto position of a lot of people yeah. in Canada. Yeah. And uh, we just didn't realize it before. Yeah, we, we were just still, didn't realize it. We were still living in the afterglow of a Christian society, right? Yeah. Where they had governmental structures that were mostly in line with a Christian worldview. Yeah. But as the, as the culture has moved away from that, and you know, we're clearly in a secular materialistic culture. And so when a, when a, uh, a trial comes, a cultural issue comes along, and they, we have to decide, well, who's the ultimate authority? Well, there's yeah. no God anymore. Yeah. So who's it going to be? Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. One of the reasons why we are so susceptible to this kind of totalitarian idea is that we have a naive view of authority. Mm-hmm. And that's a product of living in a healthy environment for a long time. I mean, if you look at the history of theology, political theology especially, um, these ideas, the limiting of powers, let's just talk about that. Yeah. You know, enshrined in the Canadian Constitution and in the American Constitution, British. Magna Carta. Yeah, Magna Carta. Uh, These are the overflow of people thinking through abuses of authority. And overreaches of authority and totalizing of authority and a flattening Mm -hmm. or a disregard for any and all other spheres of authority, whether it be the the individual, whether it be the family, whether it be the church. And Mm -hmm. think of your, wait a second, we need to give a lot of thought to this, but we have lived, we have lived under the shadow or say within the blessing of that system. And so it's like, We've never experienced as Canadians, we, we haven't even experienced conflict. We haven't even had war in our country. Yeah. Like for hundreds of years. Had a couple mailboxes blow up in the 70s in yeah. Quebec. And other than that, you know, it's yeah. been a long time since yeah. we've had a like war. Like we're geographically disconnected from a lot of conflict. Our, our closest neighbors are our greatest allies uh, and the world's superpower. Yeah, that, that kind of helps. It, it helps. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we just had a lot of material blessing and mm-hmm. prosperity, and and it just feels like, you know, well, if, if the government asks us, we should just do it because yeah. why why wouldn't you? Well, they obviously have our best interests in mind, right? Yeah. So, and you, that you could be true. You the mentioned past. the heritage of where this all came from, and yeah. the other thing that's really important is that the people that have come up with this political system that we're sort of living in now. Um, they understood the fallenness of mankind. Yeah. They understood that a person in power, though they're in a rightful role yeah. uh, de- uh, designed by God and yeah. um, overseen by God, that mm-hmm. person is still a sinner, just like the average person on the street. We're yeah. all fallen in Adam. Yeah. Therefore, those powers must be limited. Yes. Because if you don't limit the power, there's yeah. only one outcome. Yeah. Well, we're not... What what the biblical view of sphere authority is suggesting, or one of the premise it's built upon, is not the idea that you are worse than me. You know, that the government is worse, or the family is worse, or the church is worse. It's that we're all bad, and we all need to have checks and balances in place and uh, limits to our authority. Now, that's that's a negative way of putting it. Positively, it's not just built on a doctrine of sin that God has given 
different people in creation, different responsibilities. Yeah. That a husband and a father is not a mother and a wife. And they have various roles and responsibilities. Children are not parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, fathers are not governors, necessarily. Yeah. And uh, governors are not fathers. Yeah. And um, they're there to work in harmony with one another. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the context we find ourselves in. And, and the reason this is important is we're not just talking about this because of quote-unquote politics. We're talking about this because in order to live the Christian life faithfully, you need to do so as a dad or as a son or as a mother or as a, as, as a husband or as a citizen or as a governor or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. You need to love. People say, well, let's just love. Love as what? Yeah, love, love defined by who? Yeah, defined by who? And then when we come to a time when you know, to put this on the ground, the government is saying, you cannot do what God has commanded you to do. Yeah. If you don't have a category for uh, limit, limiting and defining the various spheres of authority, uh, then what you're left with is, well, Christians are not defiant. Christians are submissive. Therefore, we can't, we can't disregard mm-hmm. um, what you're saying. So we need to, we really need to think through this. And to be honest, this is the, this is the experience of Christians all over the world. Yeah. And it's it's such a it's such a privileged thing to kind of adopt the the, the assumptions that a lot of people have and sadly many Christians. Mm-hmm. Um they have a right the government has a right to tell us what to do and we have an obligation to do what they say. Uh unequivocally. Yeah. And you know, the early church, Christ is Lord is a shot across the bow. Caesar is not. Yeah. And yeah. So why don't we talk a bit about sphere authority, the various yeah. spheres? So there are, you know, there are numerous spheres. We would break it down into the three major ones. Uh, in order of importance, I would say the family. Yeah. That's the first sphere that God uh, uh, declared, right? Yeah. Right at the beginning, right? Yeah. The family, the church, the, yeah. you know, the assembly, yeah. uh, and then the government. Yeah. Now we tend to look at it the other way, right? We go if you're if you're in trouble, where's the first place you go? You go to the government. Is yeah, their government program for this. Yeah. Is there government money for this? Yeah, um, they are responsible. That's yeah. the that's the assumption. They're, that. You know, they're when the pandemic first started, there was a lot of talk from the government about you know uh, from Doug Ford. It's my job to make sure you're safe. Yes. Well, no, it's not actually. Yeah. <laughs> when did that happen? Yeah. When did that happen? No, it's 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 actually not your job yes. to do that. And so you're overstepping your bounds at that point. Yeah. So let's start there, though. Yeah. The responsibility. This is the first piece. Right. You ascribe to someone or some group a responsibility that they do not possess. And this is the part, this seems naive but innocent, right? It's like, right. oh, well, it's even if you don't have responsibility, it's nice if you do take it. Well, that's where the other side of this coin comes into play. Wherever there's a responsibility, there's authority. Mm-hmm. So if they have responsibility to keep you safe, they have the authority to implement measures to do that. Right. Let's and, uh, yeah. Look at let's look at a concrete example that yeah. has nothing to do with the pandemic. And this is something I've been thinking about for years. Yeah. Should you allow people to smoke cigarettes? You know, mm-hmm. in a culture where you take care of your own health care. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. It's not a question people ask. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to do whatever you want with your body, right? Yeah. But in a culture where I pay for your health care, right, and you smoke cigarettes your whole life, and then I have to pay for your mm-hmm. health care, all of a sudden now we've got a conflict, yeah, right? Because right at the top we're saying your health 
my, my responsibility. Yeah. But it's not. Right. And so you run into a problem down the line. Right. Yeah, that's a good example. And we see this played out in every sphere. I mean, um, fathers providing for their families. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to, to, to the point where Paul tells Timothy, if a man will not provide for his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. He's denied yeah. the faith. That's because built into the obligations, responsibilities of fatherhood is provision. And, uh, but I am not as a father responsible to care for uh, my buddy's children. I'm not responsible in the same way. I'm responsible as a neighbor Mm -hmm. to them. I'm responsible as a brother in Christ to them. I'm not responsible as a father to them. God will not look at Alex Klusterman and say, why didn't you provide for those 15 families down your street the way that I have asked you to provide for Mm -hmm. years? Well, no. With limited, as creatures, with limits, we have limited responsibilities. We see this in the church. Obey your leaders, Hebrews 13, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. And we see in this, though, that yes, there's a real call to submission to your leadership, but the leader's responsibilities are limited mm-hmm. and their authority is limited. So they are responsible. They're going to give an account for those that they are to oversee. But is every past, am I responsible for every Christian in the world? No. Nope. Well, I'm, am I responsible <laughs> for every Christian in our city? Nope. Well, no. Implied in that is a covenantal obligation. There's a defined group of people, a defined group of leaders. We would call it the local church that a group of elders is responsible to oversee and they are responsible to submit to. Is a Christian responsible to submit to any pastor in the world as their pastor? Mm-hmm. No. They are called to, res- to, they are responsible to submit to the authority of particular elders. So all responsibility comes with corresponding authority. This is just a truism. Yeah. And so when we give wrong responsibilities, oh, it's the government's job to educate our kids. Well, be careful because now you're saying that the authority yep. to determine what the curriculum is, to determine what coercive means are responsible to make sure mm-hmm. they are educated, to what to protect them from. Yep. And this increasingly, and, and that's the now, family. And now they're protecting them from the parents. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So we need to be real careful in talking about what are your responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Define those and limit those. And then the authority question comes into part. Yeah. But we assume, back up to the government thing, that the government's responsible for everything. And they give other people, oh, we're responsible for everything, but we'll let you to take hold of this for a while. Right. Oh, your municipality, you can, you know, do your snow clearing and your recycling program and maybe have a little control over your hospital. Right. But the ultimate authority is on us. Yes. Right? Um, now, that's that sort of looks like the structure that it should be with God at the top. Right. God is the ultimate authority and all of these sub-spheres are under his authority. Yeah. All of the authority in the world that humans can wield is delegated. Yes. It's not, we don't have it just by nature of being in a particular office or being a particular gender or being a particular anything. No. It's always given by God. Yeah. And this is, you're right, going back to the image of almost a hierarchy. A lot of Canadians view the government at the top. There's this hierarchical scheme and it goes government, I don't know, maybe church, then family, then individual. I don't know how else it would go from there. But it's like government above in every, but no, no, according to the scripture, the government is one sphere Mm -hmm. that we submit to. Uh, The local church and our elders are one sphere that we submit to uh, as, as 
you know, children and the family submits to the husband's head is one sphere. Employees respecting their employers is one sphere. These are not like on a depth chart and the government is at the top. Jesus is at the top. They're beside each other. They're beside each other. Jesus is at the top and his word is governs everything. Yeah. And that we need to discern how do these various relationships work in harmony with one another. So this is where it gets real critical. Because we have to define the responsibility of each sphere from Scripture. Yes. And if you don't believe Scripture, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to make your sphere as big as possible. And that's what we're running into, right? Um, it's Christ or chaos. I've heard that so many times lately. It is the truth. If you don't have Christ defining the spheres of authority and defining the limits of, of those responsibilities, then it's just chaos. Yeah. So uh, let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 6. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the responsibility of uh, parents and their children, right? Um, these words that I command you today, you sh- shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So whose responsibility is it to teach their children God's word? Primarily, the parents. The parents. Right. And this, we would say this extends into other areas of teaching, right? It's the job of the parents to educate their children Mm -hmm. all across the board. Mm -hmm. It's not the job of the government to give a a religious education to the children. Well, that is Old Covenant, though. Uh, Oh, right. Yeah. We're under grace now. We're under grace. Well, even in Ephesians 6, right? This, This responsibility given to parents to educate their children is still in place. Ephesians 6 Four fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. All right, we got of, our bases covered on that. Yeah, one. of the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, ba- so basically, you know, that's one example we see today is that it's one thing to come together and to say collectively, like, let's delegate a measure of authority to other people um, to educate our children. Like we're we're both on the board of a classical Christian school. Court the Classical Christian School, shout out. That's right. And uh, uh, we believe that this is not in contravention of these texts, that mm-hmm. there's a way that Christian parents can come together, can delegate authority in a responsible way while not abdicating their own, and see their children with with the appropriate oversight, et cetera, of parents uh, raised in, in the instruction of the Lord. So we're not... We're not saying that you can't have schools or something, that everything is only confined to the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that wasn't the practice of Israel. That wasn't the practice of the early church as well, that, that uh, although things were very home-centered, that there, was, there have always been schools mm-hmm. and the utilizing of various gifts and abilities. Um, but let's put it this way. If you're allowing your children to be taught year in and year out that they're nothing more than advanced apes, mm-hmm. You know, you're abdicating your authority. Oh, yeah. You know, this is different. This In a Christian culture, this wouldn't yeah. be such a big deal. Yeah. But the well, stuff that's being ta- taught now is so counter to the... Well, yeah, and that's where I was going. I was saying, granting that there is a category for institutions. We, yeah. we acknowledge that. We're not saying everyone has to be a homeschooler, um, although that's a, that's a great option. And increasingly, you know, one people need to think about. Uh it doesn't follow that it's the government's job to do Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can abdicate your responsibility to them. Like, you know, are your children being raised in the in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And if they're not Christians, they can't do that. 
How can an unbeliever who doesn't even believe in God's word raise your child in it? Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, they just teach them English and math. One, no, they don't. No, you are so removed from your school. There's nothing neutral in education. Yeah, if you actually think that. (laughs) Uh, They do teach them more than that. And two, your your math and science is, is nothing neutral about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lens through which, anyways, back to the sphere authority thing. We need to say whose responsibility, uh, what are the responsibilities of each sphere? So you, you make the family Genesis one, 27 to 28 to 24, uh, God creates man and woman and he creates them, uh, in the covenant and they're, they enter into the covenant of marriage and they, they're told to be fruitful and multiply and to take dominion. Um, that bearing children and raising children to live under the rule of God and to rule over creation is his name is the responsibility of the family. Mm-hmm. And we A can family as defined by God, the family is defined by God, yeah. not how we want to define it. Not two moms, not two dads, whatever this is, the family, how, how God defines it. Then we have the church, right? The church, the assembly, the congregation, and uh, instituted for the worship and the shepherding of the saints. So their duties include things like the administration of the sacraments, mm-hmm. um, the worship of God, Ephesians 5.19, the preaching of the gospel, 2 Timothy 4, 2, 3, uh, the discipline of sin, Matthew 18, yep. 1 Corinthians 5, the uh, baptism and administration, well, we said the administration of the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, the uh, the raising up of officers so we don't we don't appeal to the magistrate we don't go down to city hall and say who do you think should pass yeah i need another elder yeah we need another (laughs) elder or uh you know we need to discipline a member who's not walking in repentance yeah um can you put them in jail Mm -hmm. that's not the magistrate's role that's the church's role to to discipline according Mm -hmm. to scripture and it's also the church's role to uh to, to have that prophetic voice in the culture too. I mean, look through all through the old Testament, the prophets confronting King after King, yeah. right? Nathan confronting David. Yeah. That was his job. Yeah. That wasn't just him out on his own being a rogue prophet. That's mm-hmm. his job. Yeah. Here's God's word is applying to this leader. Yeah. The most powerful man in the country. Yeah. And you're going to go tell him to repent. Yeah. And I would add one sphere to this. It's not, I mean, it's often, it's not always talked about as a sphere because it's one person, but the individual and this is something that's overlooked is that yeah. the, these are these are an assumption here is that the individual created in the image of God, endowed with a, a mission and a purpose and dignity that follows from that, um, has, has worth. In our legal language, we would say has rights. We would say responsibilities and rights. And uh, it's no surprise that as our culture kind of overlooks every other sphere of responsibility and collapses it all into one that the individual is the same. Yeah. We're not just in a totalitarian, we're in a, a collectivist mentality. Mm-hmm. You you look at you look at right now, right? When you bring up the idea, if you were to go on Facebook or Twitter or if you were to post an article about shockingly the government has restricted civil liberties, you know who would care? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Because nobody cares about civil liberties, you know what? You know how they are actually viewed: selfish yeah. and uh, special pleading. So there's no moral weight 
hardly any in the broader culture to appeal to individual civil liberties being restricted. That just does not carry moral weight Mm -hmm. because we have a collectivist view of one thing. It's about the group and the good of the group and the individual is a threat. And uh, it strikes me that another thing that happens when we flatten this all out and put all the authority in one place is that you lose the distinction between sin and crime. Yeah. Right. So in one sense, yeah, well, yeah, sins become crimes. Because if you if there's no God who's going to punish my hatred, yeah, after I die, it has to be punished right now, or now, else there's yeah. no justice. Who's going to do it? It's going to be the government. That's why you get hate hate speech laws and all this other stuff, right? So that is under the sphere of the church. We yeah. would say it is the job of the church to punish things like sins, yeah. that would uh, destroy the the unity and the fellowship of yeah. the, of of the sheep. It's the job of the church to to deal with those issues, yeah. not the job of the government. Well, and also it's the church, most importantly, to administer the gospel, which is the only antidote to sin. Right. The government can't do that as an institution. Now, Christians in government can live in accordance with the gospel, can preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. Um, but if there's no atonement, there's only condemnation. And it's no surprise that our culture is increasingly accusational, you know, even the cancel culture, like whatever happened to, not only is it a disgrace of, of justice, it's also a, a lack of grace. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so what if someone actually, most of the times people didn't actually do anything wrong, but let's yeah. say someone did. Do you want to live in a world where even your words sentence you to death and there's no opportunity for mercy? There's no opportunity for forgiveness? There's no opportunity for repentance? Mm-hmm. And what we have now, an apology is essentially self-atonement. Um, you can't get low enough. It doesn't bring forgiveness, though, because there's always another tweet that you sent 10 years ago that they can dig up, right? Yeah. It, it's essentially our sacrificial offering. Yeah. It's what we offer to our gods, and uh, the, and they are never appeased. But the gospel is that Jesus Christ offered himself up mm-hmm. and who has appeased his own wrath, and uh, he offers Once. forgiveness. Once, Once for, for all. Once for all. Yep. Not till the next time. Hmm. So there's the, the the family, there's the church, and then there is the civil government. Mm-hmm. Christians uh, appreciate, respect, and uphold the God-ordained role of the civil magistrate. And this has been uh, the pattern of Christianity. Christians are not anarchists. Christians are not those who use their freedom as an opportunity for evil. Christians are not those who say, well, um, Jesus Christ is my only king, therefore I recognize no other authority. No, we recognize no other authority on par with him. Mm -hmm. We recognize no other authority on the same level as him. But beneath him, we recognize and respect all authority, whether it's our employers, whether it be our husbands, whether it be our dads and mothers, whether it be our pastors, or whether it be our mayors the, yeah. or, or our, our prime minister. Yeah. But we, this is an important piece. We honor and respect them as God-ordained authorities, mm-hmm. not by what they claim they are. And this is the most dangerous thing about not defining what your authority is and what your responsibilities are. Essentially, it says, I am responsible to honor you for who you say you are and respect you in the way that you say is respectful and to submit to you in the way that you call submission, Mm -hmm. not God. But if a wife does that to an abusive husband, that's just abuse. Is a wife responsible to 
treat her husband as God? Is her is a wife responsible to submit to her husband unequivocally mm-hmm. to follow him down any path to do anything that he tells her to do? Well, no. Well, why? Well, because his authority is limited. And it's only valid in so much as it's in line with God's definition. Yes. Right? Exactly. And and this idea of kind of authority being absolute, therefore you have to do absolutely what they say, is totally unbiblical. So if we look at Romans 13, even in Romans 13, the life verse of every Canadian Christian these days. It's now more popular than Matthew 7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if we look at Romans 13, even in this text is the assumption that the governor is beneath God. So let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So this is, Paul is anticipating, he's not anticipating someone who has a question about individual rights and freedoms, and, and he's trying to silence them under the totalitarian regime. He is a, he is helping them think through. Okay, if Christ is Lord, which they understood to, he, to if they hear rightly as they would as Romans. Mm-hmm. Wait a second, Caesar said he's Lord and Savior, but if Jesus is Lord and Savior, what do we do with Caesar? Do we not have to do anything he says? To which Paul responds, "No, yeah, be subject to the governing authorities, because all authority comes from God." has been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, so the the authorities are legitimate. In the reign of Jesus Christ, he has not flattened every authority. There's still dads, husbands, employers, civil magistrate, mm-hmm. all of these things God has ordained are still in place. Um, but what Christians I've found, especially in Canada, do here is they adopt a Canadian secular view of government and apply that over the text and yeah. say, therefore, we need to submit to them according to who they say they are mm-hmm. and according to what they, whatever they say, unless I can find a verse that tells me I can't. Right. Or unless I find a verse that tells me I should and they say I can't. If they specifically command me to do something sinful. Yeah. Like forsake meeting together. Yeah. Oh, wait, not that one. (laughs) Well, the Bible doesn't even require that apparently. Yeah. So, but if we go on, we actually see that there's assumptions beneath this text about the role of government. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Okay, stop there. Yeah. So what happens if the rulers become a terror to good conduct? Yeah. So what happens if taking the Lord's Supper singing aloud in church and meeting together, things that God all commands we do, yeah. become illegal. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> do you have an obligation to listen to them? I, I would argue, no. This is this is saying that we should only be afraid if we're doing something that God considers bad. Yeah. This well, is not the government's idea of what is good or bad. Yeah. Well... Would you have the fear? Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Do what is good, and you will receive his approval. They, he, he's saying that God has instituted the government. Their their job is to punish evil. If you want to uh, have no fear of them, do what is good. Okay, hold the phone. Who determines what is good? Mm-hmm. Because according to my government right now, it's good to chop children apart in the womb, and it is evil to su- even suggest that that is immoral. 
Am I actually supposed to go along with that? Mm-hmm. If they tell me, which they have, it is wrong to even protest that. It is evil to protest that. It is evil to publicly demonstrate against that, that there are laws in our country against proximity to abortion uh, facilities. They tell me that is evil. Am I actually, is that actually evil? Well, the assumption here is still that God is in authority and God determines what is good or evil, which is why he goes on to say in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he quotes the Ten Commandments. Yeah, so the key is the law is the arbiter of good and evil. Which is why our Constitution even says it recognizes the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Yeah. The magistrate is not above the law of God. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and they are subject to it. And just to back up uh, a couple verses again here, uh, verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, well, what would incur God's wrath? Will God, will God, give, will God pour out wrath on you for doing something good just because the government says it's evil? Yeah. Or will he pour his wrath out... Will he will he refrain from pouring out his wrath against evil because the government says it's yeah. good? And to carry on here, uh, uh, but also for the sake of conscience, you know what is what is supposed to inform our conscience? Scripture, yes, right, yes. And so if your conscience is bothering you because you went to church, yeah, you might have a mil a, a malinformed conscience, yes, right. If your conscience is palliated when you stayed home from church because you feel like you're obeying the authorities, yeah. I would say you need to check your conscience. Yes. Yeah, all of our conscience needs to be subject to the yeah. word. And practically, according to this subject, needs to be informed with a biblical understanding of authority. Mm-hmm. And as Canadians, it feels wrong. Our conscience says it is wrong to be non-compliant. That is just a sinful thing. Non-compliance is disobedience. We would say, no, the Bible assumes that Christians are non-compliant every day. Non-compliant with the flesh. Uh, if you give in to the, to the passions of the flesh, you will die. Uh, non-compliant with the world. Non-compliant with the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Every day we are engaging in non-compliance hmm. uh, with, with sinful forces. But the, the conscience of most Canadians is that, no, 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 no. Non-compliance is just is, is defiance rebellion and Christians aren't about that. Mm -hmm. Or as we just saw in Romans 13, no, no, the government has the authority to ask whatever it wants and we have the responsibility to submit to that. No, every governing authority is subject to God's word. And in as much as they are punishing evil and rewarding the good, we are to respect their authority to do so and to submit to that wholeheartedly and not dismiss them because Jesus is the boss. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus said, no, no, but I've given them authority to do that. Okay. Um, we are nowhere in Scripture commanded in any way whatsoever to submit to uh, evil and to call evil good and call good evil. Mm-hmm. And we're told to actually resist. Let me ask this things. question. When, when magistrates will stand before God on the judgment day, will they be held accountable for the decisions they made as magistrates? And if so, what's the standard? Yeah, exactly. Or will God just say, well, you were allowed to call good evil and evil good because I gave you the authority to do that. Yeah. No, he's going to judge them according to his his word, his yeah. law. Um, the same standard that everyone is judged by. And this is, this is the elephant in the room. It's like, 
when it comes down to it, Jesus is Lord and yeah. everyone is subject to him. And the separation between church and state is not the separation between God and state. No. And, and that's the kind of the lie we've believed. Yeah, separation of church and state means that the government shouldn't pay your pastor's salary. Yeah. Which we're actually seeing now. Yeah. Well, it means you know? <laughs> that we need to recognize that the government has a limited, defined responsibility with the same with the church, mm-hmm. and they need to respect their differing responsibilities and authority. Um, so, yeah, we need to, we need to, in order to live faithfully and to love our neighbors as we ought to and to honor God and to live as though Christ is Lord, we need to understand the various spheres of authority and responsibility in our culture. We need to know what the civil magistrate is for. And we need to submit to them in as much as they bear those responsibilities. Uh, We need to know what the family is for, what husbands are for, moms are for, the local church is for. And in as much as they are bearing their responsibilities before the Lord, they have authority, but no more than that. Mm -hmm. And that's what was the third, that's what you read before we started. Like most Christians would say. Right. Uh, The, yeah, most Christians would agree that. Uh, if the government commands us to do something that God forbids or yeah. forbids us from doing something God commands, that we are uh, obliged to disobey. Yeah. But what about when the government commands something that it is not uh, it is not given the authority over to yeah. command? What, what, what when the government says, you're not allowed to have people over at your house for dinner? Yeah. Well, that's, that's not your business. Yeah. And, and we see that Christians don't think this consistently. So what if yeah. I tell your wife... That she needs to submit to me as her husband. Yeah. Well, you would go to the Bible and you say, well, no, that's not true because my Bible tells me that your authority as a husband is limited to your covenant of marriage. Or what if you tell my children what to do as their dad? I would say, no, no, no. God has only given you response. And what you're asking, say what you are asking my kids to do is totally lawful. Yep. So it's not asking them to do something God says they can't or forsaking them, forbidding them from doing what God says they can. I could, I, I'm not like, well, I guess it's a good thing, Jeremy. I have to I have to let him do it. Well, no, because God hasn't given you the responsibility or authority to do it. Or what if, as a pastor, I tell other members of other churches submit to me? I go into Westbound and I listen to Jason's sermon. I'm like, ah, I don't agree with that point. I'm going to preach a sermon after this, and you all need to listen to me. Uh, and maybe even I'm right, you know, about something. Um, or, or say it's a disputable matter. It's not black and white. It's, it's whatever. It's like, well, you're not our pastor. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but it's funny when we get to the talk to the government, all of those things go out the window. It's like, nope, government has absolute authority. Everything they ask we need to do unless there's an explicit command against it. And it's like, no. Yeah. We wouldn't accept that argument in any other case. No. And right now, the argument that's being used to justify that is this argument of safety. Yeah. Right? Uh, That's the argument used uh, for Bill C-6 that's coming through in Canada, saying that you're not allowed to, you know, let's say I had a friend who was struggling with same-sex attraction. Yeah. Didn't want to be attracted to the same sex. Yeah. It's their choice. They come to me and talk to me. Yeah. I'm not allowed to counsel them. Yeah. Right? Uh, why not? Well, the government says because that could cause them harm. Yeah. Right? It's all based on this harm stuff. Yeah. Um, Doing what's good for people. Yeah. Protecting their safety. And we need to recognize, no, no, no. Which they're not doing anyway. But, but Romans, <laughs> they yeah, claim but to Romans be 13 says good, right? So anything that they say is good, they have authority over. Mm-hmm. They have jurisdiction over. It's mm-hmm. like, no. Uh, we need to, that is limited to the judicial sphere. 
And they are not, it's good that I am intimate with my wife and it's not the government's job. Marital intimacy is a good thing. Uh, The affection between a father and a child is a good thing. The government has no jurisdiction Mm -hmm. over that and responsibility and authority. So we need to sort these things out like yesterday. And uh, by God's grace, we will do that. There's lots of Christians who have thought about this Mm -hmm. deeply over the course of the church. And this could be a really encouraging and refining moment for the North American church, for the Canadian church. How do we live under Christ? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the church usually refines its doctrine when it's under a crisis. Yes. And this is definitely the biggest one that's come up in quite some time. Yes. So hopefully this does lead to some refinement of our doctrine and uh, clarity of understanding. All right. Well, this week's good segment, I'm going to uh, recommend a book to you that's really helpful, really good uh, for your study of the uh, New Testament, study of the Gospels. This book is called A Harmony of the Gospels by A.T. Robertson. Basically what it is, it's a book that shows you, uh, let's say you have parallel accounts uh, in the Gospels of the parables or any of the other narratives. It puts them side by side so you can actually read them uh, in all four Gospels. Uh, and it will give some context when there are differing accounts um, to harmonize the uh, harmonize those accounts together. Mm-hmm. So a very helpful book in your study of the Bible, A Harmony of the Gospels, A.T. Robertson. And I thought what we would do to end with something beautiful is we would throw up a uh, clip from Handel's Messiah, probably the Hallelujah Chorus, most familiar to most people. And if you're not familiar with it, we still love you. Yeah. And it's never too late. Yeah. There's a reason why this piece of music is banned in China. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You're not allowed to perform this song right now because it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Right. right. That doesn't jive. No. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> doesn't not. jive with uh, those folk. Anywho, from uh, Alex and I at Dominion Podcast, it's been a blast. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.